At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And, and we're broadcasting at our WABC uh, studios in Midtown, 770 on your dial. And this is a TriCast, also on AM 970, The Answer, and on WLIR in Long Island. In the studio with us today, we have a full a full house. We have Judge Richard Weinberg, and we have uh, uh, Governor David Patterson, Common Sense Democrats, Common Sense Republicans, Chief, uh, t- uh, Chief former yes, Chief of Staff, Tony Carbonetti, and Ed Cox, former second son-in-law, <laughs> and uh, and on my sidekick uh, Lydia uh, Sarani. How are you, Lydia? How are you feeling? You feeling better? I am feeling better, and I'm going to feel even better during this show because we have an action-packed hour for our, what, million listeners nationwide, maybe even into the solar system. We've got Ken Friedman, and we've also got Tom Keen Jr., Kathy Wild. Of course, she's with the Partnership for Alliance for New York City to open up New York City. We'll talk more about this gun czar that Mayor Adams has appointed, Dr. Mark Siegel. But first on the line, Charlie Gasparino. Charlie, you've been a very busy guy today. I've been following your Twitter. You had some very interesting news about Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. What do you have for us? Uh, well, the talk is that she's on the way out. I mean, she's clearly being wow. de-emphasized. And, and by the way, they'll deny it. And Brian Deese tried to deny it. But Brian Deese, the head of the uh, Biden Economic uh, Council, National Economic Council, denied it as he was taking up all the airtime explaining the administration's viewpoints on the economy and inflation over the last <laughs> over the last couple of days. I mean, it's really interesting how he that Brian Deese is running around saying, oh, no, she's still a big part of the team while he is doing all the talking. So it's clearly the torch is being passed from Yellen, who recently admitted she missed the inflation threat as Treasury Secretary. There clearly is people worried inside the administration that, you know, she isn't up to the task, that she that there has got to be a fall guy or fall gal for this inflation mishap that everybody thought was transitory, which turned out not to be transitory. And it looks like she's going to be the one and uh, the, the, the fall person. And uh, the name that I keep hearing that will replace her is likely Gina Romano, the Commerce Secretary, who gets high marks. I mean, she's apparently a very accomplished, smart woman. She uh, was the governor of Rhode Island. Um, pretty impressive resume. I, I went back and looked at it. It was pretty, it was, it, you know, she knows what she's doing. Uh, Gary Gensler, the SEC chair, is another name you, you hear. But I think top of the list is Gina Romano. And, uh, you know, and, and Yellen is likely out, is particularly if they get their you-know-what's kicked in the midterms, which it looks like that's going to happen. So, uh, And if they do get their rear ends kicked in the midterms, it's because they missed the inflation boat. And, um, you know, the, today the markets were up 
Um, it's a little bit like the calm before the storm. But if you know everybody I talk to thinks that you know we're going to head for some really tough waters ahead, particularly as the Fed, Fed keeps raising rates. Tomorrow's a key day. It's a jobs number. We'll see what happens tomorrow. See if they, if it if it looks good. See what the markets do. So it's uh, you know stuff is starting to happen in this economy. And then on top of it all, you got guys like Jamie Dimon saying you know the, the you know what could hit the fan, particularly as the Fed raises rates. Uh, so it's it's not a good time to be in the Biden administration now in economic policy or leading it. it you know, their fingers are definitely being pointed. And right now we understand they're being pointed at Janet Yellen. And uh, is there a hurricane coming, like Jamie Dimon says? You know what I've been telling uh, everybody? Uh, uh, I've been telling them that a hurricane is not necessary. It doesn't have to come right. if President Biden fixes North America. I don't know why he's begging the Saudis to give us more oil. I don't know why he's begging the Iranians to give us more oil, the Venezuelans. Because North American crude oil, if he opens up the spigots, oil will go down to 55, 60, 65, and inflation will go away. You know, it's it's funny you say that because these – if you know anything about him, and he is emerging as this the point man on the economy now, his background his background was as the ESG czar at um, at BlackRock. He was the guy pushing BlackRock, the nine trillion dollar money management firm, to impose all these ESG standards. I mean, he was empowered to do that. BlackRock has has backed off of that a little bit since. I mean, Larry Fink has done not quite a one eighty, but he has softened that, saying that we need more of a transition into this ESG. Don't forget, stuff. Charlie. Don't forget who makes all the batteries for the electric cars. It's China. Of course, and they control 90%. a lot of the, they control a lot of the lithium, and so it, you know it's it's really interesting. But Deese is taking those policies. And he's implementing them in the White House. And this is a White House that's run by progressives. And Joe Biden has found his inner liberal since taking over, you know, or not even liberal. He's, you know, he's gone. He's, he's mimicking Bernie Sanders in many ways. Um, and, you know, the, the sort of lunatics are controlling the same asylum now. Again, I don't care about the word liberals. I really don't care. But this is hurting the United States of America, this is hurting every John, citizen. John, they, they care. And here's the thing. These are extremely ideological people. They ignored Larry Summers last year when he said the spending was going to spur inflation. They are ignoring common sense policies like you're saying. As a matter of fact, Brian Deese came on our network today on Fox News and said that we're, they're drilling now more than they drilled under um, under. Under, under um, Trump, which I don't quite understand what well, he the, means the, by that. The, the, these, these is a very smart guy, very verbal, and they're going to be putting him out front because of that. He knows yeah. how to handle these issues and and make some things that actually no, pretty that's, radical look that's same. theater. But what do you make of this thing that he keeps saying that they drill more, we're drilling more now than under Trump? I mean, it kind of makes no sense. Charlie, it? it's Richard Weinberg. All this is is theater. The inflation speaks for itself. The, well, economy, the economy being in trouble speaks for itself. When Biden makes a pronouncement, he's done everything he can. That's not true. He hasn't done virtually anything. No, he, he's, done, but he's done what he – Charlie, it's Tony Carbonetti. Hey, he's Tony. done what he wanted to do, which is high oil prices allows him to then say let's subsidize all the alternatives. Well, yes. You're, you you know, there, there, you is, would, there is a method to the madness that yes, Tony talked yes, about here. Yes. 
And you know, Brian Deese is an is a progressive ideologue uh, ideologue on 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 energy. Did it at BlackRock? He's doing it here. We have so to he, invest he in the future because oil is so high. And he That's knows how to dance on, in front of a TV, right? So he knows how to spin it. Uh, Biden obviously can't spin it. Uh, Kamala Harris can't spin it, but he knows how to kind of spin mm-hmm. it a little bit. He's been practicing for years. You know, he was Obama's um, auto czar. After during the bailouts of the automobile industry, some of the automobile industry, a lot of them wanted to go into restructuring and bankruptcy and, and let the private sector handle it. He's now he said, no, I want to keep it under government control. So that, that's how this guy thinks. Um, and, you know, he is the guy that's basically saying to the American people, you know, he's the, the way he's trying to spin it to the American people. You don't worry about it. This is economy in transition. Take a little heat and a little pain for now. It'll be better in the future. And you know that's that's kind of the that is the message they're giving right now. I mean, you could see it in it's you know not in grounded media. reality. It's, How- well, it's crazy, but it's and it's, it's sadistic, but <laughs> it is what it is. Charlie Gasparino with uh, President Biden's first executive order when he shut down the XL pipeline. John Katzmatidis, you called it. You said, watch, you're going to see gas prices. Everything trickles down from oil. Now we have Biden. He's planning to travel to Saudi Arabia this month to rebuild relations in an effort to lower gas prices. Well, he's going I, I mean, to this- Saudi Arabia because they won't answer his phone calls. He's got to go kiss some behind right there. I mean, but he doesn't you know, need you can't to. Make this up. You, you have to beg other countries to bail us out. Think about how insane that is. And uh, that's this president. And, and by the way, that's probably why there's going to be a change in government. And well, um, unless maybe unless Donald runs again, well, <laughs> Saudi Arabia just uh, OPEC plus is going to raise production. So probably Biden going over there as part of that deal. Yes. Yeah, that's that's true. That's what happens. And maybe and maybe we've reached peak inflation. But you know, here's the problem. Everybody says, okay, we've reached peak inflation at eight percent. Say it's subsidized, it settles at six percent. You know, then you have to look at the economy slowing down. And if the economy slows down, we can have we can reach peak inflation and hit a recession. That's usually what happens. And I am telling you, everybody I know that's in the bond market is they're talking recession now. That it's really a possibility, despite what the market's doing today. They're looking at bonds. They're looking at at you know rising yields, lowering pr- prices. Um, no, excuse me, lowering yields, higher prices. They are really looking at this. As recession a, a, is not necessary. It doesn't have to happen. Except, don't never forget what President Obama said about Joe Biden. If mm-hmm. if there's a way to screw something up, he'll screw it up. Yeah, and, and if he doesn't straighten out the oil market by opening up the spigots in North America, like he should, but he won't. And if he, he doesn't, you know he won't. He interest you know he rates, won't. interest rates are going to keep going up, and you know what's going to happen? Interest rates go up. Real He's going to destroy the rest the of the country. Real estate. Crash. Here's how you know yes. he won't do that, and you know that because Brian Deese is running the show, the economic show right now. All right, Charlie. Let let us uh, tell us about something that, a little bit more technical. When uh, Jamie Dimon spoke about the economic hurricane, he right. mentioned a thing called QT. Now, I don't think Q- anyone QT knows. Or QE. <laughs> well, QE is over. It's now QT right. tightening, and uh, and he thinks that's going to have a huge impact on the markets. What well, do you think about it? Well, that's when the Fed, you know, you know, QE means the Fed literally goes out in the market and buys treasury bonds from banks and puts and puts money in the banks on the bank's balance sheet so they can lend. It's a very heavy-handed way. That's essentially how you print money. 
QT is the opposite of printing money. It's, it's literally a, instead the, of buying the truth the bonds, is the other name of that QT is Ponzi scheme. <laughs> well, it's it's literally the Fed the Fed taking money yeah, out of the money the supply because right. it sells it, it the bonds on its balance sheet it will sell those bonds come from banks and primary dealers and that takes money out of the out of the economy so you do the opposite it's a very heavy handed way of raising interest rates but it's it, you know when when you get what we have now which is you know significant inflation it's one of the few things you you have you have to do it i mean it's 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 essentially what can only thing that can crush inflation but it often leads to recession no one knows what it is but jamie diamond is scared of it well i mean i know <laughs> it and you know you know if you just spend jamie, jamie diamond <laughs> i met him originally when uh he was working on he worked on the gore campaign Oh, interesting. Yeah. You uh, know, that's where I goes, met him originally. When, uh, and uh, he's one well, smart he's guy. De- he's a Democrat, but, you know, he's Jamie, a, he'll, he'll vote for anybody if he thinks they he's have. He's Greek, isn't he, John? Yes, he's Greek. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, that makes him smart. No, he's one smart guy. He's done a terrific job at J.P. Morgan, and he's a big Democrat, but I think even he is frustrated right now. He is. He is. I mean, he didn't tell me that, but I know people would say that, well, he sees the Biden administration as being sort of, you know, not having their acts together in a, in a way and not in a way, in a huge way, which they don't. And so I think, you know, that irks somebody who is a management expert. I mean, what made Jamie Dimon such a great CEO, the one guy that kept it, the, the biggest bank out of, you know, out, out of, you know, getting bailed out and, and imploding was that, you know, Jamie came up through the ranks, not as a trader or a salesman, none of those BS kind of jobs. He came out of the ranks just basically managing the portfolio of companies that Sandy Weil was building to create Citigroup. So when Sandy would buy stuff, he'd be the guy to fix it. Take it that, you know, you know, you know rationalize the, the headcount, make sure all the operations work. So this guy knows a business from the ground up. And so when he sees, and, he, and obviously he's done a great job with, you know, he, he went to JP, after he got blown out of City uh, Citigroup, he went to, you know, he spent a bank few, one. Few, he few, went few to things. bank yeah, one. He went to bank one, but he spent a little time on the beach. Went to bank one, and bank one was bought by by J.P. Morgan, who bought him. His, his father was my stockbroker. Yeah, at Shearson, right? No, eventually he came. He went to J.P. Morgan. He worked oh, for yeah, his son. But he but remember that's where he. He worked. was at Bear Stearns, I think, and uh, the father worked for Sandy Weil. Yeah, that's how Jamie got the job. Yeah, and we could talk until until until, <laughs> until he fired Sandy Wild's daughter. Yes, that's right. He fired. I have a I have a question for whoever wants to answer it. Is this Biden administration really that clueless? Or are they are they intent on destroying America? They they have, are, they're claiming they, they didn't know about mission. inflation. They, have they didn't mission. know about the they're going to raise prices of gasoline so high. People say, please, please sell me electric cars. Give me some wind power. I think but the baby combo. formula, now we have to get it from Europe. I mean, this is an embarrassment. I think it's a combo. I think I think the president is pretty incompetent. And I think, you know, a lot of it extends to him and, you know, how they deal with him. And he's all over the place. And, you know, he's you could tell, like, he's always angry. And, you know, he's not – you feel like he doesn't – he's not just doing the job. He's just screaming at people behind the scenes or, you know, lashing out at reporters over stupid things. It really is a, it's a sad situation. You know, it, it's interesting because the Trump stuff, I, I, I remember covering Donald. I mean, Donald would be crazy and he'd tweet out, tweet out crazy stuff and his people would have to put, put his tweets, you know, try to figure out how to put them back in the bottle a little bit. But, you know, the, 
policy-wise, and you know, the, the 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 Trump White House ran pretty cleanly, and you know, they had smart guys. They had Larry Kudlow, they had Mnuchin, they had um, Mick Mulvaney. They had real people that knew what they were doing. Real people. Leave you know, these guys just you don't get the impression. And Trump, as crazy as he is, let them run the show. Like he. Like when they remember there was a, that book by uh, by Esper came out, you know the the former I guess That's defense fine. secretary or national security guy Mike Esper he said that you know Trump just mused off the top of his head why don't we just bomb some of these uh, some of these Mexican drug cartels and he was like oh Mr President you can't do that well guess what he didn't do it most of the stuff that that Trump said that was crazy that he opined about he left it to everybody else and uh, and you know things kind of worked out for the most part. Well, uh, Charlie Gasparino, thank you for speaking out for all of us. And you say it the way it is. That's why me and you get along well. I know. You say it the way it is. Uh, And uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Anytime, John. Talk to you you guys soon. Bye. Uh, Now I understand uh, we have uh, Ken Friedman, who is running a recall election for some DA in San Francisco, is it? Ken Friedman, are you there? I'm here, John. Can you guys hear me okay? We can hear you great. Tell us, uh, great. tell us, great. give us the big picture, because nobody in New York sure. know, knows or cares what goes on in San Francisco. Well, they <laughs> should care, because we, all, we also have some liberal, progressive DAs who uh, should be on a, uh, on a recall petition. Um, well, on June 7th, and you've given me too much credit. John, but thank you. I'm not running the campaign. It's actually being run out of San Francisco. I, I wrote a column about recalling Boudin, making the case to recall Boudin for the Daily News a couple of weeks ago, and and I argue that um, that he should be he should be recalled. You know, I make the link between he and his um, his parents. You know, he's the uh, the son of David Gilbert and um, and Kathy Boudin, the Weather Underground uh, terrorists and murderers. And uh, and I also argue that David Gilbert shouldn't have been um, shouldn't have been released, um, that he shouldn't have been on Andrew Cuomo's uh, parole list. Um, and the hope and expectation is that if this recall happens in San Francisco on June 7th, and right now the polls are running between 55 and 70 percent in favor of recalling Chesa Boudin. As is there anybody the left in San Francisco to vote? I mean, the, my son went there for, for a, <laughs> a, a few meetings, and he was shocked. Mm-hmm. He was shocked. Downtown is deserted. Why do, you, why do we think that is? Why are all major Well, they're trying to do that to New York, too. Deserted. Because of crime, you know, not not COVID, because of crime, fear of crime, perception of crime, reality of crime. So, you know, there, there may well be a domino effect across the country. You know, uh, George Gascon is uh, there's a recall petition circulating uh, in, in Los Angeles. Um, uh, Ken, and it may work. It, way, it may work its way, way east to Chicago. Kim Fox, uh, Larry Krasner, Philly. Um, Alvin Bragg in, in, well, in Manhattan. Ken is Tony Carbonetti. How are you? There's, hello, there's hello, no Tony, recall here. The governor there has to not. do it. That's correct. There is no recall. The, the, the governor has to exercise her power and say if a DA is not executing the law uh, according to the oath that uh, he or she took, that the governor removes you. That's what has to happen. Right. You beat me to it. But that's right. There's no recall. Um, 
uh, uh, lever in, in, in this city, uh, not for any And, and that power has only been exercised once by a governor, and that was uh, Mario Tommy. Cuomo years ago. Was, no, I mm-hmm. it was, and it was a corrupt DA. It was a straight corruption issue. But you've had governors who limited the power of DAs when they wouldn't prosecute homicide cases for capital punishment. They can pass it to another right. DA, right? Yeah. Ken, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. What, Hello, what Judge. you're seeing here – in my estimation, is not a coincidence. You have a national-wide campaign led by Soros and his allies in each of these municipalities to take over the chief prosecuting office, whether it's the, uh, the county prosecutor or it's the DA. They've done it in city after city after city. And there's a lot of money spent, and the electorate doesn't pay attention to those down-ballot races, and they have been able to win all these races. So if you don't have a recall possibility... Then you're really stuck with with these people unless you have a superseding power like the governor of, of New York has. But look what happened in uh, in San Francisco. Gascon was uh, was run out of town, out of out of San Francisco, and they elected him as DA in L.A. How does that happen? I, I don't know. You know, the people get the uh, leaders they deserve, right, Judge? Um, you know, you're right. You're right about. Um, you know, about the fact that people don't seem to care about down, down ballot races, but they seem to care about this recall election in San Francisco. They got over 100,000 signatures on the petitions. That's more well, than double what they need. Ted what Friedman, they when's the election? When, 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 did they, when do we know? June, June, June 7th, approximately That's 10% of the election. The, the, the uh, mail-in ballot started about two weeks ago. All right. The expectation is about 10% will vote in, in person on June 7th. We'll talk to you next week. Uh, fill, in, fill, us, fill in our audience. Thank you so much for I'd calling like in, Thank Ken you Friedman. Very much. God bless you. And I understand now uh, we're going to take a break or we're going to go to... Uh, okay, let, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to come back with uh, Governor Keen. Keen's son. Tom Keen. Tom Keen. Let's, do, let's take that break. Common Sense Recap of the Day's Biggest Stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Now on the line for us is Tom Keen Jr. You may know that last name all too well, especially in New Jersey. Uh, Tom Keen Jr., he was a New Jersey General Assemblyman. He's also the grandson of former U.S. Representative Robert Keen and also the son of former Governor Tom Keen Sr. And he's now also running for Congress in New Jersey. Welcome to Cats at Night, Tom Keen Jr. Hey, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. How are you? We are, we are great. Right, Give us the pulse of what's going on in New Jersey, Tom. Listen, I believe in public service. And when people here in New Jersey, there's an affordability crisis, there's an inflation crisis. Everybody in New Jersey is feeling the effects of the massive spending, massive inflation. Gas prices are going through the roof. I was in a shopping center today, and the stores' shelves were empty of baby formula. I mean, People are feeling these massive increase in everything, and we, I'm standing up and fighting that, and everybody across New Jersey is feeling the exact same impact of this Biden economy. And, and, and tell us about the gas prices. Well, they're going through the roof. They're over $5 now in many places, and, and tracking up, we've seen diesels is, is above 6 I think, and you see the, these gas prices are going up uh, consistently. And one people know is that Tom Olinowski has voted against every single effort 
to make this country energy independent again. And we need to make sure that, again, we were energy independent because we were just two short years ago. We need to shorten the supply chains. We need to do everything we can to open up that, that uh, Keystone Pipeline again, make sure we have the right uh, type of drilling. We need to make sure we are energy independent once again. And how is uh, – it's uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, Mr. Keene. And how is the border – the open border policy of Biden administration affected New Jersey. It impacts us in nearly every day because people know that if we don't have a secure border, we don't have a secure country. I'm the only candidate in the primary that's actually gone down to the border to see it firsthand, to figure out how you could solve the problem. I talked to family members down there. I talked to ranchers down there. I talked to the Border Patrol. We need to secure the southern border. We need to build the wall. We need to have more Border Patrol agents. We need to have more technology. And we need to make sure that we have a secure southern border because everybody knows that the fentanyl that's flooding the streets here, 90 percent of it comes from the southern border. They know the human trafficking that's coming across the southern border, how that and and crime rates all across every neighborhood in, in this country, including in this very district. And so people know that the impact of a unsecure southern border has on their local communities. Tom Ed Cox here. Feels like it's a big Republican wave building up. What do you think's going to how many seats can we pick up in uh, in New Jersey? Listen, I'm very optimistic we're picking up a number of seats, including this one, because people understand that these people who are in Congress right now were given a chance to govern and they failed every step of the way, whether it's on the inflation whether it's on spending, energy independence, securing the southern border. They, they have allowed for uh, the, that disastrous withdrawal out of Afghanistan. I mean, there's so many things that the people who are in Washington, D.C. are totally responsible for. Then the people in New Jersey want to change. That's right, because, really- uh, Mr. Keene, this is Lydia Serrani. Oftentimes, New Jersey, it can go blue, it can go red. How confident are you that people are, are waking up and realizing that when they're voting for, you know, radical leftist policies, Lydia, this is I'll what they get. All, you ha- all that Tom Keene has to do is says, if you think Joe Biden is doing a good job, then vote for my opponent. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> really right. Mr. Right. Keene, this is uh, David That's Patterson. Right. Are you uh, running in the general election or do, you, or do you have a primary to win before you do so? Uh, primaries on uh, June 7th, which is which is next Tuesday. And we're running a very strong grassroots effort. We have uh, broad support among the six counties that are in this, this district. Uh, Leader McCarthy, State School, Lee, uh, Lee Stefanik are all on board. Chamber of Commerce is on board. The PBA is on board. Tea Party Express just endorsed me today. We've got a very strong grassroots effort, and I'm asking everybody to come out. And if vote you for me. think, if you think Nancy Pelosi is doing a great job <laughs> letting all those people in from the border, vote for your opponent. Just tell that to them. Tom Keene Jr., thank you all very much for coming on. We have to go to our next guest, and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And uh, we got Kathy. We got Kathy Wild calling in. And, and people don't realize that in New Jersey, too, you have Newark. You have other big cities there that are crime-ridden already here in New York City. Guess how many shootings we've had so far in New, New York Jersey City? New Jersey people want to commit crimes, they come they come to New York and commit the crimes, and they can get to go home for dinner, even if they get caught. <laughs> you know we've had 600 shootings in New York City, 600 shootings so far this year. We, have, on- we have on the phone, we have Kathy Wilde, uh, the uh, CEO of the uh, New York City Partnership, 
And we all love, we, we, we've talked about this, we all love New York and we want New York to open up. We want our 66 million tourists back and we want our office buildings to be full. And our hotels and, and our, our restaurants hotels to be and full. our theaters. And, and not museums. with homeless people, the hotels. And not with homeless people. Right? <laughs> not, not with homeless people. <laughs> Kathy Wild, you know, we both love New York. What are we, any progress? Um... <laughs> <laughs> tough question, that Kathy. Sound <laughs> Kathy. Come on. Way to put her on the spot. <laughs> Poor Kathy. <laughs> Any progress? Well, the good news is the legislature ends its session sometime at late tonight. So uh, that's good news. The state is safe for all <laughs> for another yeah, seven months. Exactly. Right. The question is how much damage will be done in the meantime. So that that's uh, that's the good news. And and actually, there's not. Too much. Um, a lot of a lot of really bad bills have disappeared of their own weight, and I think um, I think it's a reflection on the electorate waking up to the fact that it matters um, to their lives. What happens in Albany? Well, what so, happened? What happened to the good cause extension uh, eviction bill? Has that been tabled so far? Taking right the property yeah. rights of landlords. Yeah, yeah. I that that's uh, that is not moving forward. So that's one thing that's not moving forward. Well, uh, the what did move uh, forward, the, Kathy, was the uh, mayoralty control of the education system here. Only two years. But it's only, only two. What do you years? think of that? Well, you know, it's disappointing that we play politics with kids' lives. Thank you. So, Amen. Uh, that yep. was, I mean, the the reason we fought 20 years ago to get control of the school system, and actually it was it started 30 years ago. It started in the Giuliani administration to try and get control. And the yep. reason we fought for that is to try and take the politics out of the um, of the education of the public education system. Um, the the mayoral control bill is uh, going through. It's extending mayoral control beyond June 30th. Um, the uh, there are some strings attached. They're creating a 23 member panel that the mayor has the majority votes on, but it's still very prescriptive in terms of who's on the panel. The, pa- the a parent with a child who's in this you know, who has this problem or that problem. Um, it's uh, the, the mayor should fight back, Kathy. It's Tony Carbonetti. I, I always say there's a principal union, a teacher's union, a custodian union, a bus driver's Parents? union. Where's the kids union? Who's fighting for the kids? And yeah, it, no, it, Tony, it sh- you're, you're absolutely right. So that's, uh, that's a disappointment because again, while the panel doesn't have a huge amount of control, they vote on every contract. So they can have a negative kind of control. And then the other, and when I say contract, I'm talking about vendor contracts, et cetera. Um, And then the other problem with the mayoral control uh, statute, and we like to call it mayoral accountability because it's um, the system is hard to control, but at least you can hold, the voters can hold the mayor accountable for whether it performs uh, the other thing is that there, um, the change in class sizes, where they're saying for uh, they're going to lower class sizes. But is that an unfunded that, mandate? It, of course, it's an unfunded mandate. It's so what does that mean? Billions. Well, it's a gift to the teachers' union, basically. 
Um, there's no studies that, uh, no evidence that uh, reducing class sizes by five will improve outcomes. Uh, that's not that's not a priority in terms of what will make our schools better. So it's a it's that's a disappointment, and the legislature stuck that in. And these are the first substantive changes in the original male control law in 20 years. So it's a it's a big defeat. What, what's going to happen with the uh, 421A, which allows people to build new buildings in New York and increase the tax rolls? It's going to die in June this month. Um, it will not be extended. So wow. how, do you, how do you expect people to build? How do you expect people to build? They're not. It's very disappointing. They're not. It's, very it's disappointing going to be that it's, there wasn't consensus around an affordable housing program. I mean, there is a. I mean, 421A was a very expensive program, and there's lots of arguments against. 421A as an affordable housing program. It was originally passed in the 70s as an incentive for development when there was no housing market in New York City because everybody was leaving. I mean, we may get back there again and need 421A again, but but the, it always dissatisfied the affordable housing advocates because only 25 or 30 percent of the units were generally affordable and those not for low-income people. It isn't this whole idea that you can build housing on the most expensive, most highly taxed land in the city and somehow with internal cross-subsidies make it affordable. It's the wrong concept. I mean, we've allowed construction costs and land costs have escalated. Where we should build affordable housing is right where the subways are, whether it's the Bronx or whatever, and build massive affordable housing. That way, well, if they build them next housing, to yes. yeah, transit-oriented housing, and that's where common sense comes in. Not not force uh, people to, to put affordable housing on Central Park South or Central Park right. West. It, it used to be you could do it in the same community district, and it was allowed. And then they changed that. It had to be on the same site. Yes, that that was a big mistake because yes. you were you were able to get um, to get bonus housing. You were able to get a bonus on your current site if you developed in a low income community some affordable units. And I believe that affordability is a bigger and more important issue in terms of more affordable housing is a bigger issue than economic integration of households that you have to have luxury people and low-income people living in the same building. I mean, to me, that, that is a, a very expensive proposition that's really not worth uh, what it costs. And Kathy, Kathy me- and unfortunately- oh, I'm sorry. Kathy I'm sorry. Wild, I just have a question about the gun czar. The gun violence czar, we now know that his name is Andre T. Mitchell. He's the founder of Man Up, which is an anti-violence group. He said he's doing this on a volunteer basis. Do you know more about this? You know, I know Andre. I met him through Eric Adams. Eric Adams took me out when he was state senator. He asked me to help raise funds for violence intervention groups because the gangs as you recall, um, and Ray, Gell- Ray Kelly documented so well, the gangs had taken over public housing and taken over many neighborhoods. And uh, these violence interrupters were able to go out and 
work with the gang kids and follow their social media, which uh, when that started, and, and this is a lot of the gangs were communicating through their phones and social media. Um, so Eric Adams introduced me to him, and, and he's a good guy. I, th- I think it's a— Yeah, but who reports to who? I mean, uh, you have the police commissioner. You have uh, Mr. Banks that uh, oversees uh, uh, crime and sanitation. The the more people in City Hall who are focused on public safety, the better. We want public safety. Me and you want that. (laughs) That's what I – I mean, I'm never going to criticize the mayor for having more people focused on public safety. Well, Kathy Wild, anything else you want to tell the uh, uh, New Yorkers uh, before we uh, take a break? I'm good, John, unless you have more questions for me. Governor? I'm, I'm good, too. Okay. Kathy Wild, hey, thank David. you for everything you do. God bless you, and God bless New York. We need God's blessing to, right now. That's for sure. Thank Thanks, you. John. Let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, we're going to have probably we have two more guests, Dr. Mark Siegel. And then later on, about ten minutes to uh, ten minutes to six, we're going to have um, Mario Economo with some more things on the economy. Now on the line for us, Dr. Mark Siegel. What kind of, I mean, Dr. Mark Siegel, you don't really need much of an introduction because you're one of us now. You're part of the Cats at Night crew. You know, Dr. Siegel. not only that, I want you to know what an expert diagnostician I am. I can hear a, just a little bit of nasal tone in your voice, Lydia. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the, the COVID got me. Two years. She's got oh, or, or two years, I, I, I escaped its wrath, and then it got me and knocked me down, but I'm back up, and uh, I'll be in the office very, very shortly. But, yeah. You know, and, but, you it's know, I had to struggle. It's, 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 it was a struggle for me to get the Paxlovid. It's getting to a round of people now that really thought they were immune, and it's odd because I have a theory on that, that there's people that really can't get COVID because they're protected genetically, and they have a lot of, you know, a chemical called interferon, but then some of them are getting it with these, with these subvariants. And your other point is, it's ridiculous how hard it is to get Paxlovid sometimes. You know, you, you wouldn't believe the form. I still got to say what race you are, by the way. I still got to put that, what race you are. And Dr. Then, Siegel, then, uh, this is David Patterson. Isn't one of the problems that the vaccination is still really only vaccinating for the COVID-19 and really has not adjusted to the variants? You know, Governor, I was thinking of that the other day when I thought to myself, we change the flu shot every year, right, because of new variants. And this thing is two years old. Exactly to your point, it hasn't pivoted, and we were promised by Pfizer that that, that they would in fact give us a, oh in a month. I remember saying oh in a month we'll get we'll get something that cover the new variants. Now we're going to get it in the fall, I think, but I think it's really been delayed, and I think that you know maybe maybe the public private partnership part of this paying in advance might have helped. I don't know what what's delaying the research, but I do think we need we need a vaccine that's specific for these variants. The boosters help. The boosters help, as does having had COVID. Like Lydia's protected. You, once she goes back to the office, you can, you know, come right up to her, shake her hand, everything. We'll, no we'll problem. We'll let her in the studio, doctor. We promise. Good, good. I want a big hug. But I have to ask you, Dr. Siegel, what's the deal? Because I asked for the Paxlovid, and the doctor was very resistant to give it to me. 
And I said, well, we're not under like some, I know it's for emergency use authorization, but it's not like it's in short supply. Don't these drugs expire? And I had to twist and twist and beg and push. And I feel sorry for people that maybe don't know English, don't know how to, you know, twist the arm of the doctor and otherwise would still be suffering. Whereas me in three, four days, I'm, I'm kind of back to my, my old self. I'm not a hundred percent. Whereas before when I was coughing so badly, I said, I can't take this suffering anymore. How badly I'm coughing and my chest is burning. Why are doctors so resistant to, to give it out? By the way, did you feel better when you took it? Yeah, I mean, within a day, within 24 yeah. hours, I noticed a, a noticeable difference, the burning. The, I mean, I was coughing all night, one night, all night long, and it was horrible. And I would I probably it, still be coughing and still be sick if if not for the, I mean, it it has some kind of little bit of a nasty side effect to it, the Paxlovid, some digestive issues or whatever. But I'll take that any day before, you know, at least I can go to sleep at night. I'm a big fan of this drug, and I don't think the problem is with physicians as much as it is with pharmacists. Pharmacists are reading the, the small print. I, I'm sorry to cast aspersions. I know I'm going to get a nasty call from CVS in a minute or Walmart or something, but <laughs> you know Walgreens. But I, I, I actually have had problems with pharmacists, and I've seen some Paxlovid rebound. And let me explain how this works. It actually stops the virus from reproducing in the body, in its tracks. And so maybe if you have some more left over at the end of five days, the virus starts reproducing again and you get more symptoms. So I like to extend it if I can. And pharmacists are reading the fine print. And the same thing with you. They're like, they want to know how old somebody is. They want to know what their pre-existing conditions are because it was only studied that way. But the, here's the thing they're forgetting. Never mind emergency use authorizations. I'm allowed to prescribe off-label. So even if I, as a physician, think I should be using it more liberally, and I am giving it to a lot of people below the age of 50 that don't have a lot of conditions. Maybe maybe they're overweight. Not you, Lydia. You're not overweight at all. But some people are. <laughs> they're, at, they're at higher risk, and I want to give it me. to them. Don't, don't talk about me I like, work out. But I said, don't talk about me like that. <laughs> John works oh, out. John, too. I never John make weight jokes too. about you. Come on, John come lost on. so You're much weight these days. John, I'm on that Dr. Michalos diet, and and Dr. Michalos, you two should meet sometime. He's one genius, and um, and uh, I've lost a lot of weight. I've heard great things about him, yeah. by the way. That's yeah. not the same. Um, that's not Mykonos that owns that, that, that beautiful Greek restaurant. No, 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 no. He's a doctor. <laughs> He's in Southampton. But he enjoys good food. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, but, but you have to. Enjoy. So what's the, secret, what's the secret to the weight loss, by the way? Because that's another big topic. Uh, the, uh, are... the fasting diet where you don't eat uh, for 16 to 18 hours. And, and if you check out the Harvard report, it'd be, your cells panic so much that you haven't eaten that it, uh, it, they go on a mode to kill all the bad uh, stuff in your body. Yeah, I think that's true. They go into kind of an emergency war mode if you if you if yes. you go through a period of fasting. I think that that's true. The your metabolism yeah, your, gets revved Mark, up. You, you you must have got a good education because you know I can't say it that eloquent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, while I was while I was killing myself in in school for pennies, you were making billions. So how's that for a comparison? I didn't make my first billion until I was thirty. <laughs> oh. Oh. he what made his first million in, in his early twenties, right, John? You were yes. like in your early twenties. Not bad mm -hmm. for a college dropout, don't you think? <laughs> Not bad at all. In fact, it's a it's almost a. Uh, if, I, I remember saying to Woody Allen once. Um, 
what do you think of uh, of NYU Film School? He said the best the best people are those who dropped out, including me. He said. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Uh, what are you doing on Sunday? There's the Greek Independence Day Parade. Uh, I'm a chairman, and we're going to be going up Fifth Avenue from 63rd Street all the way to 79th Street. And as a WABC float, you're welcome to join the float. I'm I'm definitely coming. Is food being served? Absolutely. <laughs> well, but you can't eat for not, 18 hours before, not, Doctor. It's not the 16-hour window. That, yeah, we'll 16 hour, that must be the eight hours. Well, uh, Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for calling in. And you're, uh, uh, you're one of the fun guys to talk, we talk to. I love talking to you. I'll see you Sunday, and I know I'll be in the eight-hour window when food is being served, so I'm ready. <laughs> I uh, let's take a break, and we're going to go to Mario Kanamu, who's going to report in what the heck is going on in Europe with the economy, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, let's take that break. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25-plus years. They focus on elderly law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show, where we talk about everything that's going on here in America, in New York City, in San Francisco, across the country, and now around the world. We'll go to Mario Economou, who will give us the latest on what's going on in Europe, specifically regarding the economy there. Hi, Mario. Welcome back to and, Cats and at Night. And also the Queen. What happened with the Queen today? Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, the Queen had uh, uh, her celebration uh, that's really not the purpose of the call today. The purpose of the call today and what's alarming with respect to what's happened today is the fact that the uh, president of the Ukraine, Zelensky, spoke to the uh, parliament in Luxembourg, and he acknowledged for the first time that the Ukraine essentially does not control 20 percent of its land. Uh, the Russians now do. This is the first time he's actually openly admitted this. Uh, and it's interesting because in terms of size, once again, that's a land mass which is roughly the size of the country of Greece. So Russia now essentially controls a country the size of Greece and the Ukraine. Uh, on the back of that, it was essentially announced today that the U.S. will be sending – they've been discussing this, but now today they've confirmed they will be sending the MLRS system. That's a multiple launch rocket system to the Ukraine. There were concerns about this system going to the Ukraine because if the Ukrainians decide to use it and to fire the missiles into Russia, this could create a much greater altercation. I guess the U.S. now feels comfortable enough because the Ukrainians have given them assurances that they will not be firing these missiles into Russia. Uh, depending on the munitions used, they have a range of roughly 180 miles. So they can hit pretty deep into Russia. That's, a, that's Ukrainians a 180 miles. Uh, Ed, you were an airborne. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what do you know about that? Yeah, well, the those are very accurate missiles. Uh, there are a number of you can fire them at once. And uh, the uh, Ukrainians need them to go that distance in order to knock out the the Russian artillery, which is really so. If the Russian artillery is on the Russian border, you know, in Russia, 
Are the Ukrainians going to use them? That's a good question. At the moment, they said they're not going to use them. Right. He said okay, yesterday so he wasn't so going to use them. What, what, what do you think, Mario? I'm going to play devil's advocate, and I'm going to tell you what I'm scared of. There's one unit right now, one army unit in the Ukraine that's surrounded by uh, Russians. And it is said that they are running out of ammunition, they have no more food, the morale is low, and they're essentially going to be surrendering to the Russians. What happens if you have a renegade lieutenant, major, colonel in that Ukrainian group who decides that, you know what, I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory and I'm going to launch these systems into Russia? What happens then? Well, somebody has to apologize. Well, it's going to be, it's going to, unfortunately, it's going to be much more than an apology that's going to be needed because the Russians have said, if in fact that does happen, the Kremlin spokesman said, they will view that as an attack by America or a third country. And that will make them decide that they have a carte blanche to hit other countries back. So I, I think people need to take a step back. I think I've been listening to you all night and all week and about the price of gasoline at the pump. Uh, we're looking at 10 bucks almost a gallon for diesel in California. We're easily going to surpass that in the summer. If this war continues, if things continue at this pace, the price of oil, the price of gas will continue to ratchet up. And when that happens, mm. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of people, both in America and in Europe, say that they have not signed up for this. This wasn't the purpose of supporting the war. Um, and I think we can prevent it. I think everybody needs to take a step back and everybody needs to sit down and negotiate. The Ukrainians, the Russians, and the Europeans, with America, of course, acting as a, a guarantor of security. But an agreement needs to be reached. This cannot continue, because if you continue to send weapons to the Ukraine and you continue to arm the Ukrainians, good things will not happen. Mm. A lot of people are assuming, this is Ed Cox here, a lot of people are assuming that. But if you show strength to Russia, I don't think they want to bring in uh, Western Europe. They are, at the moment, they are at a weak point. Uh, they're, they're having a trouble just with the Ukrainians. And uh, you bring in uh, uh, Western Europe, uh, you, you're, you're, you're adding to your problems if you're Mr. Putin. I agree, Chairman. He, the Russians can't control 100% of the Ukraine. They'd never keep it. Right now, what he's doing is he's breaking everything he can, knowing that at one day the United States State Department will have a Ukraine reconstruction czar. A reconstruction and we'll, czar. will be paying to, to, to fix everything that he's breaking. Well, they, they'll take the reserves that they've taken away from the Russians and use that to rebuild the Ukraine. And they should because the Russians have destroyed it. But to Mario's point, as much as I want to help the Ukrainians, I don't want to do it to America's detriment. And we're already yes. seeing the side effects from it. And yes. that's what I'm worried about. And what Lydia is saying is what's now starting to be whispered beneath the breath of many of the prime ministers in Europe. And in fact, Mr. Draghi in Italy, even though the sixth uh, package of sanctions was passed by the EU and everybody was high-fiving each other around the table, he did say that everybody needs to realize this is going to be very bad for Russia, but it's going to be brutal on Europe. And very, very difficult days are coming. And I don't think anybody has really picked up on that. And coming back to your point uh, about uh, uh, Putin and Russia wanting all of the Ukraine, I don't believe they do. I believe Can't what Putin it. wants is, is what he's done. He's pulled back from many of the other parts of the Ukraine. And I think he's very comfortable and happy with what? the 20% that he Mario, now controls. we only got a minute or so left. 
What what's the, the real story? People, other accusations are coming through that uh, they they have a a, a Nazi division in the Ukraine. Uh, yes, uh, there was. Uh, that's the Azov uh, Battalion or Brigade. They were in Mariupol and they lost. The Russians did obliterate them, and the ones that did survive have surrendered, and they've now been put on trucks and sent back to Russia. The Russians claim that the ones who were wounded are in the hospital, and they're screening the other ones. I don't know what that means. Does that mean they've been shipped off to Siberia somewhere, to a re-education camp? It's called Siberia. But, but yes, Mar- there was Mario, a thank you. thank you for coming on and briefing us uh, about what's going on in Europe. I want to thank Judge Weinberg, Governor Patterson, Chief, Chief Carbonetti, and Ed Cox, and, and my sidekick, Lydia Serrani. Uh, well, God, what do we stand for? What does our for? show stand for? Truth, Truth justice, 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 and the American, American way. God bless uh, New York. God bless America. God bless Europe. And we need God's help in this one, in this time. And uh, we'll catch up again uh, tomorrow. Thank you.